The Alabama Crops Report podcast, your trusted information source for Alabama agriculture. Hey, everybody. Welcome into another episode of the Alabama Crops Report podcast. Scott Graham and Adam Rabinowitz behind the mics today. Adam, how's it going? I'm doing really well, Scott. Happy to be here today. Me too. So I'm, we're excited today. We've got some, some first-time guests on the podcast, uh, folks from the Water Resources Program. Did I say that right? It's Auburn University Water Resources Center. You're very close. Center, not Almost program. there, Center. yeah. I was close. All right. So there you hear Dr. E. Brantley talking. We've also got Adam Newby with us. So uh, let's take a second and just let y'all introduce yourselves. Sure. Well, I'll start. I'm Eve Brantley. I'm the director of the Auburn University Water Resources Center and also am privileged to serve as our state water resources specialist. I'm housed in the Department of Crop, Soil, and Environmental Sciences as a professor here at Auburn University. Dr. Newby? And I'm Adam Newby, and I'm a water resources research associate um, in the Crop Soil and Environmental Sciences Department. And so I mostly work on the program that we're going to talk about today with the Water Resources Center. All right. So sometimes when we have new guests, we ask for things like fun facts or something. But I'm going to shoot y'all something I saw on Twitter this morning and let you respond. Y'all are weather people. Rain and stuff is important for water resources, obviously. Are you familiar with ChatGPT? Yes. Yes. I saw a big tweet. Fan. I see big fan. Okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll see about that. I saw a tweet this morning where they asked ChatGPT. I, I think I'm saying that right. To rank each state's weather from most interesting to least interesting. One being most, which was Hawaii. Alabama being last at 50. What? Thoughts. How could we be last of what, interesting? I wonder what the parameters for interesting <laughs> yeah, are. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, we need to define interesting here because... So wow. I, I sent that text to, to some buddies, one of which is a farmer, and I just said, at 8 o'clock in the morning, it's 45 degrees. Right. And at noon, it's 82. How yeah. is that not interesting? <laughs> exactly. And then he, one of the farmers said, it can be 85 in March, have 14 tornadoes overnight, and be 29 the next day. Yeah. Right. Not yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Right? Certainly like, not boring. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> interesting, but it's not the most least interesting. So I don't know. I, I was in Hawaii recently uh, doing some stuff with the university over there. It's just beautiful every day. It rains depending on where you are, but other than that, it's 80 yeah, every day. It's just consistent. And yeah, it's boring. Beautiful, but boring. They, they have a lot of variation depending on where in Hawaii you are, right. depending on the topography. But like you said, we have variation from the morning to the evening. So Yeah, yeah. From the morning to lunchtime, <laughs> right. it's different. So. You start out in your heavy coat and you know, you're down to your t shirt by lunch. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but we are kind of missing that snow. Right. And so, you know, yeah. I mean, I, well, I am from New England. And so that that is something that that I do miss down here. No, I, I don't miss that. I'm fine. We get snow every every fall in cotton fields. <laughs> Alabama snow. That's exactly it. Alabama <laughs> snow. That's right. We're getting off topic here, but there's a T-shirt where I'm in, in the Mississippi Delta. It's, it says Ski Mississippi. I don't know if y'all have seen it before mm-hmm. or not, but it's this guy. Elevated up, dressed up, skiing in a cotton field. So, like <laughs> so that, that's we we can make some ski Alabama shirts. I don't know if my kids will go for that though. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, let, let's get into the topic here. So y'all have got a new project coming out, right? You're starting watershed planning for irrigation. So tell us uh, a little bit about the program. How how did y'all come up with this? First, it's not a new program. Uh, actually, Adam and I were talking about this earlier. This is a program that started with my predecessor, Dr. Jim Harrison, 
and uh, partners at the University of Alabama in Huntsville, Dr. Richard McNider, Dr. Christie, John Christie, the state climatologist, about 20 years ago, they began really in earnest talking about what are some of the ag water needs for Alabama. Knowing that we've got abundant rainfall, we've got a lot of water resources, and we also have a lot of cropland, right? So what about irrigation? And so this conversation started, and it really started with the opportunity to look at remote sensing, the specialty of University of Alabama in Huntsville, and also the state climate office, and then Auburn being the land grant, and our connections to agriculture and to farmers and that research base trying to understand what we could do to help. Um, so planning has been going on for many years. And now this program, about five, six years ago, some funding became available. And that's what we were, are really here to talk about today is that funding mechanism and the planning that we're continuing to do with that implementation in mind. Um, so it's like the new generation of Watershed Planning for Irrigation with this Water Resources Center and uh, still Dr. John Christie in Huntsville and Dr. Lee Ellenberg up there, too. That's great. And so, you know, you say that the funding came available five years ago, mm -hmm. right? And so this has been a project that's been ongoing, but it's got this new name, Watershed Planning for Irrigation. Right. What was the previous name, just to kind of put in perspective? Well, I think it's always been, oh, you know, it was the um, Alabama Irrigation Initiative, and that, I mean, it was uh, folks from Auburn, UAH, um, other groups going to Washington, D.C., and just telling the story of Alabama ag and why we needed some investments in water resources um, as it relates to getting water on farms. And I know Adam can speak more to some of those needs when we talk to farmers around the state. The watershed planning part comes into how the money, how, how we're receiving that money. Um, so it's a federal money that comes through the state and then is, um, much like other NRCS programs, a cost share program. So, yeah, it's uh, the PL-566 program um, that, that we are working with now. And that program comes through USDA, Natural Resource Conservation Service, and our state agency, the Alabama Soil and Water Conservation Committee, is that sponsoring local organization. They're the folks that rank the farms um, for, again, very similar to NRCS programs. There's a ranking process. And then when you're selected, um, those farms then get some cost share dollars to implement on-farm irrigation. And, you know, it's a big partnership. And I know that in Extension, we're, we like to talk about our partners. And so while Adam and I are here today, this is, uh, I mean, almost just this huge group around the state of not just Auburn and UAH, but of course, NRCS, Soil and Water, our friends at Alpha, the local county extension offices. I mean, there's just so many people that have been working towards this. Understanding why we've been talking about irrigation, and we talked about you can get so much rain in this state. You know, it's, it's I think, a fascinating story to share. That's great. I mean, it's, you know, you've got all the partners involved. And certainly, as we talk about irrigation, this is something that 
is very different for Alabama. When I was in Georgia, um, you know, there was a lot of irrigated acres there, yes. and we don't really have that here in Alabama. And so the framework's a little bit different. So it's interesting to hear about some of the planning for irrigation and what that may lead to. So, Adam, can you tell us a little bit, you know, for, for folks who maybe aren't as involved in production agriculture, why it's so important to help farmers get irrigation? Because like, like you mentioned, Dave, we get a lot of rain oh, out yeah. there, yeah. especially depending on where you are. Yeah. So we get, you know, most of the state gets somewhere on average 50 to 60 inches of rain a year. And if you're down close to the coast, you're getting more than 60 inches of rain most years. And so, you know, most people who are as um, close to ag may think, well, that's a lot of rain. And, you know, I look around, I see a lot of water. Why would we need irrigation to grow crops? Um, well, you know, and and the short, one of the short answers might be, well, we do get droughts. And anyone who's been around long enough knows we, we have some years that they get droughts. And anyone who has been a farmer for the past, you know, 20 to 30 years can look back and they, they'll remember those years. You know, 2000 was a pretty bad drought. 2007 was a heck of a bad drought. Uh, if you were in the industry then, um, more recently, 2012 was, you know, a fairly bad drought. Um, we had a little bit of a drought in, in 2017 in some pockets of Alabama. So, you know, you do have years where, where you get droughts. But um, more than that, we also get what we call flash droughts. So flash droughts are essentially um, periods of time where the soil dries out very quickly due to high temperatures, maybe a lot of wind, and you know, and you have a few weeks without any rain where the soil just dries very, very quickly. Um, and, and they're called flash droughts. They're usually short-lived. But even though they're short-lived, um, they can have a huge impact on farmers, on their ability um, to produce a quality yield. And so just as an example we use is corn is a great example. Um, we can walk through the process and I can you know, basically show you um, how important it is to, to have supplemental irrigation when needed. So corn tassels in Alabama, usually around the last of June to early July. And so that's the production of, of the pollen at the top of the stalk. And when it is, is, when it starts to tassel, it really needs a lot of water at that time. And so if the corn does not have adequate moisture, soil moisture at that time, in just that two-week period, it dramatically affects the yield at the end of the season. So if you have a flash drought just for two to three weeks, end of June to early July, even if the whole year on average, if you've got 60 inches of rain, if there's not adequate moisture just during that two weeks, it could drop your yield by half or more, just depending on how dry it was during that tassel. And so you can imagine then, man, wouldn't it be great if that happened, if the farmer had a way to just keep that soil moisture up to minimum. So when we talk about this program and the importance of having irrigation, we're not talking about you know, like you see out west, just we completely rely on the irrigation for every drop of water that that crop needs. But it's just in order to supplement the the wealth of, you know, rain we already get, but to just supplement it in times that's needed to keep those crop damages, those crop losses from from happening. And those crop losses can, you know, they, they happen more than we think. Yeah, so that's, that, that's almost like an insurance policy, yeah, really. Yeah, exactly. As a risk management strategy to, you know, to think about how can I minimize the potential losses from a flash drought, 
Um, you know, I come back to kind of what we were just talking about a moment ago in terms of the acreage. Why do we not have the acreage of irrigation here in Alabama like we do in neighboring states? Yeah, so like you see in your experience in Georgia, you saw, especially in southwest Georgia, you just, everywhere you drive, you see pivot irrigation, those large pivot irrigation systems. Um, and a lot of the reason, and, and I'll just give a little context, you know, where, how do we compare to Georgia? How do we compare to Mississippi or Florida? So I'm going to throw some numbers at you guys, okay? So Georgia, they have about 1.3, according to the last census, the, the 2017 USDA census, uh, Georgia has about 1.3 million acres of, of agriculture, of, of irrigated ag land, all right? And that's about 35% of all their harvested cropland is under irrigation. So 1.3 million acres. If we move over to the other side of Alabama, we look at Mississippi, they've got 1.8 million acres under irrigation, and that's about 43% uh, of their of, of their cropland. Uh, here in Alabama, um, you know, if you took a guess, and I asked this at a lot of talks, where do you think we're at? Okay, we got 1.8 million, 1.3 million at neighboring states. And people might say, well, probably half of that or maybe a quarter. No, we, we've got about 133,000 acres at the last census, a little bit more now, thanks to this program. Um, but, you know, last census, only 133,000 acres, and that's only 6% of our cropland is irrigated. So yeah, it's a lot less than you see in neighboring states. Um, and I think that's, that's mostly due to access. When you look at groundwater access across Alabama, our groundwater is much deeper than those areas in Georgia and those areas in Mississippi where you see a lot of that irrigation. It's relatively cheap there because they might be able to go just 100 feet or so um, uh, to get water. So southwest Georgia, they're part of what's called the Floridian Aquifer, very shallow aquifer. In Mississippi, most of the irrigation is close to the Mississippi River, Mississippi Delta. So again, it's very shallow groundwater. When you go throughout Alabama, wells are usually 300 feet, if not more. And that's just expensive. It's really expensive to get to that water. Um, we have a lot of surface water, too, but, you know, you just have to be lucky enough to be on a large, you know, large river or lake or something to access that. And I think I'm sure there are other economic factors, historical factors that play a role, too. But I think a big issue is just the access uh, to that water. If you think about in that Delta region, the majority of that is furrow irrigated. Too. Right, so you yeah. don't have to buy a pivot. You don't have to buy lateral irrigation. Mm -hmm. It just you just pop some hole in poly pipe mm -hmm. and let it go. So yeah. that's a lot yeah. cheaper there. Yeah. It's a pain to, to roll it out. I don't know if y'all have ever dealt with poly pipe or not. <laughs> yeah. It's not fun, uh, and it, it busts pretty easily. But I just want to say, yeah, if you look at digging a well, if you're going 300 feet or more, you're talking about several tens of thousands of dollars. You know, and that's tough for a farmer to, to put that much expense up front. And especially a lot of our farms, too, are, are not owned land. They're rented land. That's what I was going to say. Irregular shaped and right, yeah, 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 farm ownership. That's yep. right. So why would you want to pay all that money this year? And then now that land's worth more. Mm -hmm. So you got to pay more for it or somebody else was willing to pay more for it. So that, that's complicated as well. Right. So it's really the landowner at that point that might find an opportunity to, to drill that well and, and charge more for, for the rent for that land is irrigated land. Uh, but there's also that risk that, you know, you drill down 300 feet and find nothing. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. 
So that's when that's where good planning comes from uh, or, or comes into play that really helps. If you really understand the water and the hydrology of an area and you do that planning, then it can really help, you know, help farmers find that area. And also just want to, you know, uh, really highlight the, the, the economic importance here. Um, you know, Adam, you mentioned, you know, it's like an insurance policy, you know. Uh, but, you know, it, it's really like an insurance policy that pays out a lot more than most of our insurance does. Um, if you, you know, when we, we look at a lot of data, we do a lot of economic analysis for, for you know, is it worth the cost? Um, and if one thing we've looked at is there was a long-term study done in Headland, Alabama, where one of our research stations is. And, and they looked at 50 years of historical corn yield. Um, in Headland, Alabama. So over a 50-year time, they looked at, well, how many years would a farmer have made a profit? And we call that the sustainable yield threshold, you know, a sustainable yield that allows you to stay in business, right, and make a profit. So out of that 54-year period, um, 23 of those years were below that sustainable yield threshold. That's 43% of the time. So 43% of the time, a farmer would not have been making, you know, that that yield needed to make a profit. And then if we overlay that onto the precipitation during that time every year in Headland, one thing we, we look at when we're talking about crops, you know, we don't just look at the precipitation. We also look at what was the demand of the crop. So if we look at the amount of precipitation minus the evapotranspiration demand of the crop, about out of those 23 years, about 70% of the time, um, that precipitation minus evapotransportation was less than an inch. So basically meaning, um, you know, if we say it was an inch, that means there was one more inch of irrigation than the crop needed. And anytime that, fall, fall, that number falls below one inch, you're getting, you're getting strain on the crop. And so that's highly correlated. You know, if we could knock out that 43% of the time when, you know, the farmer's not making that sustainable yield, if you had that insurance policy, if you had an insurance policy that paid out, you know, 43% of the time, that's pretty good insurance policy, right? And so luckily, most of us don't need our insurance that often, right? But that really makes the argument for, you know, when you just have that, that supplemental irrigation when needed, and just to maintain that soil moisture when needed, man, it, it makes a big difference. One problem with rainfall averages is they're averages, right? right? Exactly. They don't care if you get all the rain in, in the winter when there's no crops out there anyway. And you look at the end of the year and say, well, we had average rainfall. Well, no, we didn't, right? right. It, they're very different. It rains, but not when we need it. Right, right. And so that that's a, a complication. And then another thing I feel like I saw a lot last year or heard a lot about last year and saw some was it seemed like the same fields or the same pockets either caught a rain every mm-hmm. week mm-hmm. or missed a rain every week. And, you know, what do you do with that? That That's the kind of stuff I guess we need a meteorologist to explain yeah. why that is. But like on our research farm in Headland and in Belmona, and it was just dry as a bone for six or seven weeks there. And so in my mind, the whole Tennessee Valley is, is you know, dry. Cotton is not going to get more than two feet tall. Well, you go a quarter mile past the research farm, the cotton looks beautiful. And some of it's irrigated, but irrigation isn't a farming plan. It's a supplemental plan, right? Right. And so these these 
random pockets of where it rains and doesn't rain is another reason why irrigation is so important because if you are in one of those dry pockets, you can much better supplement your rainfall. So this sounds like a really great program. Tell us a little bit about how this program can benefit farmers. Basically, this is a cost share program, you know, to help farmers pay for that large expense of, of installing irrigation. But, you know, if we just kind of look generally, you know, why would, what are the benefits of irrigating besides just, you know, maintaining that yield and making sure we have that yield when we need it? One thing I find really interesting about the, our funding source for this program, which comes from NRCS, what's called the POT, PL566 Small Watershed Planning, is that that funding comes uh, from the authority of a, a very old law from 1954, the Watershed Planning and Flood Prevention Act of 1954. You know, among some of the reasons agricultural water management was one of the areas that authorized USDA to spend money on projects, but also watershed protection, like environmental watershed protection. And traditionally, this program was used further out west where there wasn't as much water resources to make sure that agriculture out west had the water resources that they needed for agriculture and to protect areas from flooding and whatnot. Um, well, this is the first time that funding is being used to basically give directly to farmers for farmers individually to install irrigation. And that's because we know that there are so many benefits to the watershed environment, um, to the overall watershed health of our ecosystems and our environment, and to the farm ecosystem of properly applying and managing irrigation. Um, and so some of those are, you know, if you look at irrigated cropland versus dry land, dry non-irrigated cropland, we get less sediment runoff off of properly managed irrigated cropland than we do off of rain-fed cropland. Um, we get less nutrient runoff. And so, you know, when, the, when you have a minimum soy moisture that you're maintaining, your plants can utilize those nutrients way more efficiently. And so now you don't have as much excess nutrients, you know, getting runoff when we do get those big rains into the local stream or local river and affecting the ecosystems of, of those areas. You know, you get less crop damage, you get more crop growth, so you get higher crop density. That helps on, hey, higher crop density, uh, less weeds at the base, you know, shading out those weeds, getting more organic matter back into the soil at the end of the season. Um, so these all kind of add up, you know, to an overall, we look at the big picture, to an overall plus for not just the farm and the farmer and his soil and the, the health of his soil, but also the health of the, the ecosystem and environment as a whole. We get better outcomes. So you mentioned this as a, a cost share program. What are some of the parameters? So let me kind of, yeah, get to the kind of planning and, and how we go about. So um, just the way the funding from, from this program works is it has to be done uh, on a watershed basis, so watershed by watershed. And just quickly, you know, you can kind of Google or look up any map and see a map of the watersheds in Alabama and, you know, they're at different sizes and we, we work at the, what's called the Huck 8 size, um, the, the hydrological unit code eight. But, but basically, these are identified as areas of land uh, whereby rain water eventually makes its way to some major river or water body. Um, and so the very beginning, five years ago, when 
Dr. Brantley and others started this program, they kind of identified five pilot watersheds across Alabama to start with based on, you know, a lot of input from constituents, from farmers, from uh, other uh, groups that work with farmers on where the need was, where economic need was, where were the water resources available. And so we have just are just finishing up our third watershed in the state. So all that just to say we identify a watershed and then there's a lot of planning <laughs> that has to go into that watershed. Um, the last one we did was what's known as the Middle Alabama River Basin. Basically, we identify a watershed, and the first thing we have to do is what's called just a preliminary investigation and a feasibility report for the USDA. Just to con- It's kind of a report for USDA just to convince them, like, look, we've investigated this area. It's feasible to implement the project in this area. And a lot of information about the area, um, all the agriculture statistics, socioeconomic statistics, is there enough water for irrigation um, things like that. And so once USDA is convinced that, yes, uh, this, this is feasible to go ahead in this area, um, then we have to create for the USDA what's called a watershed plan and environmental assessment. And this is what takes us uh, a long time. All of this requires basically a lot of data collection. One of the most important things we do actually in the preliminary investigation portion is we set up meetings with farmers in the area. We want to understand what kind of agriculture is going on, what kind of crops they have, what kind of issues they have, what problems do they have. Are farmers in the area interested in applying irrigation? Would they be interested in applying to this program? Um, Just, you know, what are the farmer needs? Because we really want to cater the plan to the farmer's needs. And so then as we develop the plan, the watershed plan and the environmental assessment, that's outlining the argument for the need for irrigation in the area. Are there enough resources? We work with our partners at the state climatologist office at UAH, and they do all the modeling for us, looking at, you know, where's the water, looking at the hydrology of the area, the topography, um, and, you know, where where is the water available, where may may it not be available for certain areas. We also have to outline as best we can any environmental consequences that there may be to implementing this project. So in this case adding more irrigation uh, systems to farmland. Um, What environmental consequences might there be? How might we mitigate those consequences? And we also have to do a large focus on effects of what's called ecosystem services. So those are identifying the services that we get from certain ecosystems like streams or rivers or even ag land. What are some of those services? Things like we get water from the river, um, we get nutrient cycling, we get carbon sequestration, also cultural services like the value that we put in ag land or having natural land around us, um, how certain, maybe how farming keeps communities together and, and the heritage coming together. USDA looks takes into all that, and it, it's basically a large way to look at What's the cost benefit, right? And so they're not looking at just is it going to, you know, help make more of a profit, but also, you know, if this helps keep communities together, if this helps keep um, farming heritage alive in a certain area, you know, that we may not be able to put a dollar value on that, but but that's important, 
right? And so we do surveys with farmers to kind of get a feel for people in the area, what kinds of those cultural services are important to them or what kinds of other those ecosystem services are important. And that's part of the argument we make then in the plan. And so that's a lot to say. We have to do a, a large plan that usually takes us about a year to kind of gather all the data, put the plan together, and then give to USDA and RCS for their approval. Once they approve all of that, then they release the cost share funds to Alabama Soil and Water Conservation Committee. They're kind of the keepers of the program, and they're the ones that work with the farmers. And so then they ask farmers to apply uh, to the program, and then they go through a, a lengthy process of ranking the farmer applicants. And basically, that's just they... Uh, look at the, the practices of farmers. And so farmers with a history of conservation practices, they will rank much higher, right? And so they'll be, you know, first in line uh, for that limited amount of funding that's available to farmers. And so they'll rank the farmers based on a lot of criteria. And then once that's done, then they'll start implementing and, and working with farmers to put in those irrigation systems. And before the irrigation system actually goes forward, the our local NRCS office here in Alabama actually does an on-site assessment just to be sure that the irrigation system on that particular farm can meet the parameters that are put in the plan. Um, but it's also for the farmer's benefit because we want to make sure that there's enough water resources there, right? We've done that in the plan on kind of a large basis, where the water resources, but NRCS goes in and they look at the individual farm and we don't want farmers running out of water, right, at key times. You don't want a farmer, you know, to, to well, we thought we had enough water here, but then in a drought year, we didn't have enough water, right? And so that's what the on-site assessments do is kind of, just kind of ground truth, you know, all of that large kind of big picture planning we did and make sure, yep, this is a good area. There is enough water. We don't want farmers competing for water. We don't want a farmer running out of water. That, yeah, this, this, this is going to work. And so once that's done and the farmer kind of works with an irrigation vendor to get the system put in place, then um, the, the Soil and Water Conservation Committee cuts that check uh, back for, for uh, uh, the cost share and reimbursing the farmer for, for some of those funds. I assume it's probably more on a percentage than it is uh, we'll give you X amount of dollars. But what, what kind of cost share are we looking at here? Yeah, so the max payout is $250,000. And so these large pivot system irrigations, they can be pretty costly. you know. But the max payout is $250,000. Uh, farmers get at least 60% payback and that's, reimbursement. that's per farm, not per a water basin. That's right. So every per farmer applicant, if they're approved, um, they get 60% reimbursement at, at the end when it's all done. Um, and then there are some special scenarios. If they're what the USDA defines as a socially disadvantaged producer, they get a 75% cost share reimbursement. And so socially disadvantaged could be minority groups, uh, veteran farmers, or new farmers. And then special circumstances, if they're particularly deep wells, which we have a lot of in Alabama, if you have to go more than 300 feet in a well to get water, that well itself will be, the cost of digging that well will be reimbursed at 75%. 
then on top of, you know, somebody may get 60% for the whole thing, but the well itself will get 75% if it's deeper than 300 feet. And then the last kind of carve-out specialty we have is when we were working in middle Alabama, um, a lot of that area is in the Black Belt. And we found we had a lot of historically underserved farmers, socially disadvantaged farmers in that area, who were only doing... Um, just small acreage vegetable farming. So, you know, they're not put, they're, they're not going to put in these large, expensive pivot irrigations. They're just going to put in very low-cost drip systems, right, for vegetables. But there was a need. Even those low-cost ones, a lot of these farmers, they just don't have the capital to put up front, you know, a lot of times or, or to invest in those kind of systems. So the USDA actually said, hey, if it's a socially disadvantaged or historically underserved farmer and they're putting in micro-irrigation, we'll reimburse them 90%. So that's another just small carve out. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's a lot of help. It's a lot of help to overcome these really expensive systems and to kind of get that insurance policy, you know, of an irrigation system in place for farmers. Yeah, I mean, those are pretty substantial cost share dollars yeah. that are available. And, and even though it's a, a certainly costly to, to put in an irrigation system and to drill a well like that, there is certainly a, a good amount of support mm-hmm. that's available. So where are you working on this at this point? Where in the state are you serving and and how can folks get more information? When we first started, Adam mentioned a steering committee. And so we brought together people from all over the state to help us identify where not only the data are telling us we should start, but get that best professional judgment from local governments, state agencies, federal agencies, non-government. So as a group, Uh, This big collective group identified nine pilot watersheds uh, because there aren't enough resources like anything to go statewide. So we wanted to understand where's the interest, the agriculture and current irrigation, and then where's the water that could support that. We finished our first plan in the Middle Tennessee River Valley, and uh, I think about 30 farmers or so were part of that initial program which has increased by 3,000-plus acres of irrigation. So that's the other thing is we're not converting ag lands. This is existing ag lands that are eligible for this project. We then moved to the Choctahatchee P watersheds. That was our second approved plan, and that program is currently getting rolled out and um, working with farmers to get the agreements, and it's down in the wiregrass part of the state. Um, so we hit the two really big, initial big areas of the state, Tennessee River Valley and the wiregrass region, Choctahatchee Pea Rivers. Then moved up into the center part of the state, as Adam mentioned, into that middle Alabama River Basin. And we've now, as you know, just to keep things moving along, as we've got that plan in, for comments, and we're responding to comments, we've moved up back up to the northwest part of the state in the Pickwick, Bear, Wilson area. So in each of these areas, one thing that I really want to emphasize is, you know, we wish that we would love to continue doing these plans for all of our hydrologic unit code eights in the state. I think there's 54. It would be great to be able to do that. What we are learning with each plan is how to be more efficient and how to make sure that we understand the resources in those areas. Throughout the entire state, as you all know, we have unparalleled freshwater biodiversity. So a big part of these plans is also understanding where we don't want to irrigate, where we want to be very mindful of uh, sensitive species, threatened and endangered species. I like 
the way some of my colleagues at Geological Survey of Alabama frame it, which is if we've got these threatened and endangered species and they're coexisting with ag lands, let's keep figuring out how to do that and do it better. So another great part of being at Auburn and working with our Auburn researchers is we've got Dr. Brenda Ortiz and her precision irrigation work. Dr. Audrey Gamble and Rishi Prasad and the work that they're doing with cover crops and nutrient management. So we're able to have these additional resources that say, hey, this is great. Let's, you know, when you get irrigation on your farm, it comes with, at no cost to the farmer, three years of irrigation water management plans that include soil moisture, weather station, and a flow meter. So, and a contract with the vendors that the farmers can understand the benefit of how much water do I need and when do I need it. So we're looking at really thinking through how can we, as best as possible, plan for that ag water use that takes advantage of our abundant water resources, but not at the risk to our freshwater biodiversity and cultural resources. Um, So... That's where currently we're working in the state in those areas, and we'll see where we go next. Uh, We've got to get our steering committee together. We check in with them every 18 months or so to just continue to get advice, update them on what we're doing. And truly, it is a transparent process because we want people's input, right? I mean, this is a, a great opportunity to plan for how we want to use water and to show that agriculture is being really forward thinking about water use and understanding what's possible given the resources that we have. Absolutely. Well, we appreciate y'all taking time to come and visit with us today on the Alabama Crops Report podcast. Uh, Before we let you go, is there anything else we need to talk about? If people would like to get more information, they can check in with the Alabama Soil and Water Conservation District office in each county. There's an office. So I mentioned those areas. You could go to the Alabama Soil and Water Conservation Committee webpage to get more information. And also at our extension webpage, they can do a search for irrigation watershed planning and find more information. So we would welcome people to learn more about it that way, too. And I know y'all put out information on Twitter. Yes. Uh, that's what's the, the handle for that? Auburn Water at Auburn Waters, our water resources. And then it's and then I occasionally tweet at Brant EF, but if you just look up Eve Brantley, you'll find us. I want to add in the, the old adage, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. I think when we talk about water use, you know, we've seen over the decades how important it is to plan for water use. And I think, you know, our farmers do such a good job. I think the agriculture and industry, especially if we look at the last 20 years or so, has really done such a good job at learning how to use water really efficiently. And, and, you know, and what this does is this is helping us create a process where we can really plan ahead and plan for the future um, so that we use these water resources efficiently and, and to the benefit of all Alabamians. This has been really informative for me, just, you know, understanding about the program, understanding, you know, why we're a little bit different from from neighboring states in terms of the irrigation that we have, the importance of irrigation and, and um, you know, the benefits to this program. And so it's, you know, it's definitely exciting work to see. Dr. E. Brantley, Dr. Adam Newby, we appreciate y'all coming on the Alabama Crops Report podcast. As always, we appreciate our listeners out there who tune in every episode. If you have any any topics or things you'd like to hear us discuss, please let us know. And as always, if we can do anything to help, please don't hesitate to reach out and let us know. The Alabama Crops Report podcast is a production of the Alabama Cooperative Extension System and is sponsored by Alabama Ag Credit.